You're listening to a sermon from Iron City Church. For unity, for diversity, for the city, and for the glory of God. When was the last time you got an x-ray? When was the last time you got an x-ray? Maybe it was at the dentist. Maybe you were seeing an internist. Uh, X-rays are really helpful because they show us what's really going on inside. And we care about what's really going on inside, Uh, don't we? Even if we don't have any bumps or bruises, we say, hey, doctor, I'm still feeling off. You know, it all looks fine on the outside, but is there something deeper going on? And we ask that, beloved, because we care about what's going on inside. And so does God. He cares about your heart, your deepest affections, your deepest allegiances, your desires, your worship. Friends, today we're going to get a spiritual x-ray of sorts because we're going to be talking about something deeper, worship, though on the surface we're talking about money. Many of you know that today uh, we're starting a series on giving. Typically as a church in our preaching, we walk through books of the Bible and that'll remain our practice. And indeed, even today, uh, I plan for the point of the passage to be the the point of the sermon That's what an expositional sermon is, one in which the point of the passage is the point of the sermon. And that's the diet of preaching I'd encourage you to regularly digest, beloved. But there are times every now and then to focus on a specific topic. And some reasons we're doing that with giving is because, as Cam has humbly said, this is an area where outside of the membership class, that a lot of us may honestly not remember sitting through. Uh, This is an area we haven't had much teaching. Beyond that, uh, we have a bigger budget this year as a church that honestly, we're not on pace to hit. Now, church family, if you read the manifold, uh, the email letter I write you every week, you've heard me say my primary concern is not that we hit or make the budget, but that we be faithful in our giving. To put it differently, we could meet the budget, but if we're still being unfaithful in our giving, that's not good. And if we don't meet the budget, but we are being faithful with our giving, well, I'm great with that. That's what this series is really about, friends, our faithfulness with what God has entrusted to us. And I want to encourage you, ICC, because while I don't know who gives what, and I never will, I do know just by the numbers generally that some of you are really faithful in your giving. So don't hear unnecessary guilt, but encouragement. I hope you hear lots of encouragement today. That said, I, with the rest of the elders, think giving is an area of faithfulness our church can grow in. 
So if you're visiting, yes, for the next few weeks, we're gonna be talking about money. And I know that can be sensitive. I know you may very well have seen abuses of money in the church, but the way to correct misuse or abuse of things is not swinging to the other side where we never talk about it. No, friends, the way to correct misuses and abuses is by listening to Jesus talk about it, by submitting to his word. And Jesus talked a whole lot about money. Some say 25% of Jesus' teachings are on money and stuff. And Jesus talks so much about money because he cares about something deeper, our worship. As we'll see today, Jesus cares about the worship of the entire world. Friends, Jesus knows money can be an idol, and so he says clearly in Matthew 6, you can't serve God and money. Jesus knows our hearts will follow our money, and so he gives a reverse treasure hunt to find our hearts. He says clearly in Matthew 6, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So our money what we do with it, where we invest it, reveals where our hearts are really invested. So why are we talking about money? Beloved, because it reveals our heart's priorities. We're talking about money because Jesus is Lord of everything, including our bank accounts. We're talking about money because you use it every day. And God wants you to have a Christian mindset about it. Friends, I think for many of us, it's not so much that we're really greedy, but that we haven't really been taught about how to view and use our money as Christians. And that's why I don't, I don't want some of you riddled with guilt because when you understand what the Bible says, you know there's times like when you're unemployed that you can't give and you need to receive from the church and that's expected and normal and okay. But even beyond this, beloved, we're talking about money because there is joy in giving. Real joy that I don't want you to miss out on. Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive, really? Really, Jesus, how can that be the case? Well, today I hope we see just one reason that it's better to give, and that's that we, brothers and sisters, get to be involved in God's ancient plan to bless the nations. Friends, I think we might have more of a heart to give if we know why we're giving, what we're giving to, and friends, what God would have us give to, why he would bless us, what he wants to do through his church is big and exciting and it centers on Jesus and the worldwide praise of his name. Turn to Psalm 67. Psalm 67. If you open up your Bibles right to the middle, uh, there's a good chance you'll hit Psalms of this book of poetry and songs that the people of God have used for centuries, Psalm 67. We'll look at these seven verses today. If you're new to the Bible, that big number 67 is the Psalm number. Those little numbers are the verses. We're gonna start with those words right above verse one. 
to the choir master with stringed instruments, a psalm, a song. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, Selah, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth, Selah. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the, earth, let all the ends of the earth fear him. This is the word of the Lord. Friends, we're going to break down this song into three sections. We're going to see the challenge of this song in verses 1 and 2 the chorus of this song in verses three through five, and the confidence of this song in verses six and seven. The challenge of this song, verses one and two, the chorus of this song, verses three to five, and the confidence of this song, verses six and seven. And my prayer, beloved, is that our, is that our hearts and therefore our wallets would align with God's heart for the nations which brings us to the challenge of this song. Point number one, the challenge of this song. And here it is, friends. It's that God wants to bless his people, not so we can be blessed ultimately, right? Often when we ask for blessings, we say, God, bless me for me. But, the, but Psalm 67 asks for God's blessing in order to be a blessing to others, to the nations. In other words, be challenged by this truth. We as a church should ask for big blessings, not ultimately so we can be blessed, but so that we can be a blessing to others, specifically the nations. That's the big idea here in this psalm. If you're taking notes, the big idea is really a prayer request that God would bless us so we can be a blessing to the nations. Let's break this down. You see from the superscription at the top of this psalm that this psalm is a song, something all God's people sang. And friends, I think this should challenge us. Missions is not a pet project for a few really dedicated, super serious Christians. No, this is a song all Christians sing. Let the peoples praise you, oh God. Let all the peoples praise you. Friends, we should all want God's name to be praised by the nations of the world. And we all have a role to play in this, either by going to the nations or supporting those who go. And so we all ask of God. Verse one, the request, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, Selah. Selah is a term you'll see in the Psalms, we're not really sure what it means. Uh, it may be an interlude or kind of another musical break in Hebrew, but what I want you to focus on is this request. Because to some of us, it may seem strange, even wrong, 
I think some of us are rightly worried about the evils of the prosperity gospel. Uh, The false news that if you come to Jesus, you'll be wealthy and healthy. And we might think that any talk of God blessing his people is wrong. But here, God's people pray boldly for it. And this isn't a new prayer. Uh, No, the people are are reaching back to a blessing. Aaron, Moses' brother and priest in his line, would speak over God's people. In number six, Aaron spoke this blessing over God's people. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And in Psalm 67, the people are taking that blessing and turning it into a prayer request. Lord, be gracious to us and bless us and make your face shine upon us. Friends, taking God's promises and putting them on your lips, uh, praying them back to God is a wonderful habit to develop. But why? Why, beloved, do the people ask God to make good on his promise to bless them? Verse two, look with me, that God bless us so that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Friends, the word is plain today. God bless us so your way is known. I love how this connects to our sermons from this past year. In Colossians, we talked about the way we have in God. In Psalm 67, sings, let it be known in all the earth. In Jonah, my first sermon series, we saw a grumpy prophet who didn't want God's way, his grace to be known among the nations. But Psalm 67 sings, God, let your grace be known in Nineveh and beyond. Last week, Cam's sermon in John 14, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth in the life. Church family, we want the way, Jesus, to be known in the world. God bless us so that your way may be known on earth. Verse two, look with me. Your saving power among, watch this, all nations, all nations, all nations nations. Friends, it is too light a thing for God to just save some Americans. God's plan didn't start with America, and it won't end with America. God's plan started, in some sense, with an idol worshiper in the Middle East named Abram, who eventually became Abraham. And if you read Genesis, Abraham became a man of means, which makes sense. After all, God said in Genesis 12 to Abram, I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. In you, all, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Friends, the heart of God is so big, the whole earth can fit in it. He wants to be known among the whole world. And so we ask for God's blessing as a church so we can send and support more people who are sharing about his saving power among the nations. 
so we, make, we can make his, no, his way known among people who are unreached, among people who don't just have a, cor- a church on the corner they can go to. Beloved, do you see how what we're talking about is about so much more than money? It's not that the church wants your money so we can have it to ourselves. It's that we want to grow in missions. And we want to grow in missions because we want the worldwide worship of God to grow. Friends, money is simply a tool, a means, a way of getting something. We don't have it so we can, so we don't have it so it can simply sit there. Now, every dollar we own should have a job, right? So this little pile of money, I might decide in my personal life has a job. I give it to the florist because its job is to secure me flowers that I can give to my wife to make her happy. Even money in a savings account. It's there because its job is to take care of me in emergencies or help me go on vacation or whatever. In the same way, we want to have money as a church, not so we can build bigger barns, but so that we can give it the job of supporting others in a manner worthy of God. As we heard from 3 John, and we support them so that God's way may be known among the nations. Oh, church family, let this prayer challenge you afresh. I call this section the challenge because it gets right at our motives. Why do we want to be blessed as a church? So we can be well-known in the city. So we can have a cool jungle gym for the kids or the nicest coffee for us to sip on. Friends, it's not wrong to ask big blessings of God. It is wrong, as James 4 tells us, to ask with the wrong motives. You do not have because you do not ask, James says. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Is God's glory among the nations? Beloved, one of your chief motives in giving. As John Piper has said, we want to live and give as if heaven and hell are at stake. So that God's way may be known on earth, his saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. This last request really becomes the refrain, the chorus of this passage. Point number two, the chorus of this song. The chorus of this song. Look again at verses three through five with me. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Selah. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Friends, you can tell when someone really wants something. When they keep asking for it. Here, the psalmist's repeated request is simple, the worldwide worship of God. Beloved, I know we have a diverse congregation with people from different socioeconomic backgrounds, and I love that. I think for some of us, our posture with money 
isn't so much greed as it is indifference. We just don't pay that much attention to where our money is going. We feel that we're not super rich, we're not super greedy, isn't that good? But friends, compared to the rest of the world, we're doing quite well. What's more, the psalmist here has a positive desire, a burden to see God praised in the world. Friends, do you see how God's plan is so much bigger than just what he's doing at Iron City Church in Birmingham, Alabama? Beloved, do you desire, yearn for God's praise among the nations? Do you give toward it? Do you pray about it? If God answered all your prayers from the past month, would the progress of the gospel among the nations be any different? Church family, do you long for God's glory among the nations? Beloved, I want to encourage you because for so many of you, I think the answer is yes. I want to be really clear. God has blessed this church. Can I just list four blessings in no particular order? First, God has blessed us with space to meet. Friends, it is not easy to find a space in Southside that holds 300 sinners. But he's given us this so we can hear testimonies and prayers like from our sister Jessie Hoyer about the nations, Russia and Ukraine. Second, God has blessed us with lots of people who want to go overseas and are individually raising support. And those people could testify that members of this church have supported them. And so God has blessed us not only with people who go, but with people who give. Third, beloved, God has blessed us with people who pray. There's an international ministry team meeting every Monday morning at 6.30 a.m. to pray prayers like Psalm 67, to pray prayers like Luke 10.2, where Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Beloved, God has blessed us with earnest prayer and you are invited and welcome to join those brothers and sisters as they pray. Fourth, God has blessed us by placing our church on the same block with the most internationally diverse school in the country. And a bunch of y'all are trying to reach them. Friends, God has blessed this church with people who care about the nations. I'm so encouraged. You should be too. Keep going in the marathon of loving God's praise among the nations. And if you've stopped running that race, if your flame for the nations has cooled, dear brothers and sisters, I can so relate. Truly, I've been convicted just how caught up in my own life I've been lately, and I went overseas with the International Mission Board 10 years ago. But it's easy for life to get busy, isn't it? 
Sometimes it feels like life used to be a window. We could look through it, see others, see the nations. But somewhere along the way, the window turned into a mirror. And all we see is ourselves. Friends, if you're like your pastor, if your desire for Jesus' fame among the nations has cooled, let me encourage you not to hang your head or feel like a subpar Christian, but to repent. Repent. Turn again to the Lord. He loves you. In his mercy, he'll turn you to look outside yourself to the nations. Friends, if your desires haven't been aligned with God's take comfort, you're in the right place. I mean, this is why we come to church, to have our desires realigned. The church is like a spiritual chiropractor, making sure our spiritual priorities align with God's, who is worthy of worship from the world he created. And so the psalmist desires for God to be worshiped. Verse three, let the nations praise you, O God. And this prayer request, it bumps right up against our sinful nature, our pride. Because if we're honest, our desire is not always for God to be worshiped, but for us to be worshiped. To put it differently, there's parts of us that want life to be a mirror rather than a window because we like the focus on us. Now, last week, Cole Griffith prayed during congregational prayer that God in his mercy would reveal some of our idols to us. God did that for me this past week. I wonder if anyone else here had that prayer answered. Friends, a heart centered on self will struggle to sing Psalm 67. It'll struggle to pray Psalms like Psalm 115, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory. A heart centered on self will struggle, friends, because sin turns us inward. It makes it all about me. God is fundamentally outward oriented. He loves sharing. Even the Trinity, who he is, Father, Son, Spirit, teaches us this. Before creation, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit enjoyed perfect fellowship. As one theologian commented, this God does not begrudge having someone else beside him. He enjoys it. He has always enjoyed showering his love on his Son and in creating the world. He rejoices to shower it on the children he loves through the Son. God is out word oriented. He overflows out of his abundance. Friends, let it be clear, God does not need our money. He is sufficient in himself. Missions isn't something we have to be involved in, but something we get to be. But sometimes we don't like that privilege because sin turns us inward. 
It makes us focus on what we can get and how we can get more of it. Doesn't Proverbs 27 speak the truth when it says the eyes of simple humans are never satisfied? Friend, you know, you could have all the money in the world, the dopest house in the world, and you'd still not be satisfied. And if you're sitting there thinking, no, I'd be pretty satisfied, all you're showing is your own self-deception. I remember Tom Brady, after winning his like 38th Super Bowl, saying, there's got to be more to life than this. This is why giving is such an antidote to greed. As we grow as Christians, we start to see how it's not so much about what I can get, but rather what I can give. You remember when we were kids, we loved ripping open presents at Christmas. But the older you get, maybe you become a parent, an aunt, an uncle, and you start to realize that you love giving the gifts and watching someone else rip it open. Friends, when you give, you know a strange and invincible contentment. You know a freedom from the grip money can have on your heart. Friends, I wonder if more of us could give more so we could send more Vinnies, more Greg and Hannah Spences, more Aidens. While we would love for more people to join this church, that's not the only way for this church's giving to grow. We, sitting here, could decide. We want to give more for the sake of the nations. So what can you do, beloved? Very practically, three things. First, you can pray. You can pray that God would align your heart further with his for the nations. You can pray that God will give you wisdom and conviction to show you the sacrifices you could make to give more. Second, you can start giving. You can start giving. Again, I don't know who gives what, but I know enough to know there's a sizable chunk of us who aren't giving anything. If you're looking for a place to start, 10% of what you earn, while not mandated by scripture, is a great place to start. If not 10, do nine. If not nine, do five. Brothers and sisters, wherever you start, just start. Third, you can start giving more. Beloved, what if 10% wasn't a ceiling for your giving, but a floor? You, beloved, can start giving more. After all, I wonder if you say, ouch, when you give. Ouch, this contribution is a, is a real sacrifice for me. I think often when we think of giving, we're tempted to think, what's the minimum I can give and not feel guilty? But what if we started asking, what's the max I can give? Beloved, even this morning, my family was looking at how we can give more. Join me in that. At this point about giving connects to the first, about desiring God's praise for the nation. Friends, if you want your burden for God's praise among the nations to grow, uh, you can pray for that. That's a good thing to do. But if you give more to the nations, your heart 
will follow. Uh, remember, Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Uh, in the membership class, Pastor Cam gives a good illustration about this. Uh, he talks about a dad whose kid goes to college. Now, the dad didn't go to that college. He never lived in that state. His kid's, college, his kid's college is in. He has no real connection to that school uh, outside the fact that his kid goes there and he pays for his kid's education. And college ain't cheap. And what happens? The dad starts wearing that college's hoodie. He starts watching that college's football team. Before long, he's cheering for that college. Why? Because he's like, if I'm paying for it, I might as well start pulling for them. Friends, we will pull for the nations if we start giving more to the nations and we are giving for their gladness. Did you see verse four? Let the nations be glad. Why? Next line. For God judges the people with equity and guides the nations upon earth. Beloved, God is a wonderful ruler. Abraham, we mentioned earlier, asks in Genesis 18, will not the judge of all the earth do what is right? Friends, unlike a bad boss, a bad parent, a bad pastor, a bad dad, a bad husband, God always does what's right. And so verse five echoes the refrain, the chorus, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. And the psalmist is confident God will bless his people for, for this purpose. Point three, the confidence of this psalm. The confidence of this psalm. Verse six, look with me. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Look at that first line of verse six again where it talks about the earth yielding its increase. Instead of that word increase, your translation might say harvest. Uh, at our staff meeting this past week, uh, Greg Spence mentioned how this is a harvest song. Do you hear the confidence in the people's harvest song? The second line of verse six, God, our God. Christian, do you consider it a casual thing to call God your God? He shall, not he might or he can, but he shall bless us. But the question I wanna ask is why? Why should God bless us? It's interesting if you read this Psalm in its context, you'll remember that it was sung by God's old covenant people. As Psalm 66, the preceding Psalm talks about that great act of salvation under the old covenant, the exodus out of Egypt. Just look at Psalm 66, verse six. It says, God turned the sea into dry land. They, the Israelites, passed through the river on foot. There did we rejoice in him who rules by his might forever. Friends, there was great gladness after the Exodus, there was a covenant made. A fruitful harvest was a blessing that came if the people faithfully kept their end of the covenant. 
But if you know the story of the Old Covenant, you know the people didn't do that. You know it wasn't long before the people's gladness gave way to grumbling for their worship of God to turn to worship of self, for their rejoicing in God to turn to rejection of God. And we can relate, can't we? After all, we've all sinned. We've all put ourselves first, even above God. We've all looked out for me first, and me only. But rather than giving glory to God, we try to take glory from God. Rather than making his way known, we try to chart our own way. And as we confessed earlier, the penalty for our sin is death and hell. For we looked a lot like old covenant Israel. But God, be praised, because there is a new covenant. And in that new covenant, a child would be born. A son would be given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. He judges the peoples with equity. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Friends, this new covenant would not be based on our faithfulness, but his faithfulness. This new covenant would not just be for one nation, but for all nations. Is it any wonder why, when Christ Jesus was born, beloved, the angel declared in Luke chapter two, behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all, all, all the people. Friend, this Jesus lived the life you and I should have lived. A life where he gave not just his money, not just his time, not just his sweat, but his very self as he died on the cross in our place for our sins. Friend, there on that cross, Jesus bore the wrath we deserved. He paid the debt we owed God with his life. Beloved, we don't give so we can be right with God, but because we've been made right with God. We don't give to pay God back, but because we know that Jesus paid it all. And on the third day, Jesus was raised to new life, and he now offers forgiveness of sins to anyone from any nation who would turn from their sins and trust in him. Do that today. And I know this room is full of Gentiles who've done that, who've repented and believed. And you know what? That is proof. You are proof, beloved, that God has kept his promise. The Gentiles have been brought in. The nations are coming in and we want them to keep coming. 
We want them to know the grace, the saving power, the way of God, the praise of God, the merciful justice of God. Friends, we want that to spread in the world, right? We, we don't want to hog all the covenant blessings for ourselves. We want the nations to enjoy them too. We want to share. Friends, the plan since day one has been for God to have a people from every tribe and tongue around his throne. And so God's people ought not be a cul-de-sac where blessings come in and stop, but rather a pipe through which blessings come and flow to others so that the nations could know Jesus. And if that is our heart's desire, we can be confident that God, our God, shall bless us. And didn't Jesus say in Matthew 28, when he gave us the great commission to go therefore and make disciples of all nations, that he would be with us always to the end of the age? Beloved, God is with us as we carry out his work. We have his spirit, his power, his presence, his ear, his graciousness, his blessings. Should we not ask boldly for them? Brothers and sisters, the truth is that God is more willing to give than we are to receive. So let's pray that he would be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us so that his way may be known on earth, his saving power among all nations. And let's give freely, sacrificially, cheerfully. We covenant to do just that. Our church covenant states, we commit to urge one another to be faithful in participating in the various components of worship, declarations of praise, sincere prayer, cheerful giving, and right living before the sovereign God of the universe. We'll talk more about cheerful giving in our sermon on 2 Corinthians 9, where that phrase comes from. But I want to conclude with that last phrase I read from our church covenant. Right living before the sovereign God of the universe. You see that last phrase of our psalm in verse 7. Let all the, end, let all the ends of the earth fear him. A final request. Friends, to fear the Lord is to honor the Lord with your life because you know he is the judge of your life. Teenagers, I pray you understand this from your young days. To fear the Lord is to honor the Lord with your life because you know he is the judge of your life. And fearing the Lord, beloved, well, that's why we exist. The end of Ecclesiastes, one of my favorite books, puts it like this. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Brothers and sisters, Jesus cares about your heart. And he doesn't need an x-ray machine to see it. He cares about your heart. And as your pastor, so do I. I care about the conversation you will have with God one day where he says, what you do with what I gave you? Brothers and sisters, I'm pastorally jealous 
not for you to make this church rich, but for you to receive heavenly treasure, a heavenly reward that no one can steal in a place where moth and rust do not destroy. That's why we're talking about what to do with our money on earth, because there is a real heavenly reward to be gained. Earlier, we talked about supporting missionaries. The Apostle Paul, talking about money and support he received from the Philippians, said to them in Philippians 4, I'm not seeking the financial gift from you all, but the fruit that increases to your credit. I see, see, that's... My pastoral burden in this series, I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. And I'm excited and confident to see what the Lord does in and through our church in the coming years as regards missions. Beloved, I'm confident as we preach the gospel, more of you are going to want to move your lives overseas to share the gospel. I'm confident as we preach the gospel that we're going to grow in our desire and ability to support those of you who move in a manner worthy of God. As it stands right now, church family, we as a church only allocate about 4% of our budget to missions. Friends, over the next few years, we'd like to allocate more funds and have more funds to allocate so that our God's way may be known on earth is saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. What a prayer for us to put on our lips this next week, this next year, this next decade. Let's pray. God, we put that prayer on our lips and we are confident that you will bless it. Lord, we know that you're a generous God and a big spender. So we pray that you be gracious to us and bless us. Make your face shine upon us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.